Hi, Sai. Hello. Hi. This week, I want to ask you about something that goes deep down into your deepest, darkest desires. Okay. And it's related to this week's film. Okay. I want to talk to you this week about your childhood celebrity crushes. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, well, you're putting me on the spot here. Well, that is the point of the cold open, isn't it? All right, it? well, without, not related to anything else, Josh, could you just go and just take off the headphones and just go and do the dishes <laughs> and leave the podcast running for no reason? Yeah, I don't have just to worry because my wife doesn't listen. Well, there you go. Uh, don't, uh, don't listen. Um, oh, our mother's listening, by the way, so yeah. That's none, it. no one. I didn't have any desires in Neither childhood. did I. Roll the intro. <laughs> so, um, well, of it, I, you know, I've, I was actually thinking that maybe this is something you were going to ask me. Really? I thought so. What made you think that? It, it's, it's her. Really? Yeah. Do you think so? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, there were, there were Bond girls too. Of course um, there were Bond girls. I mean, how can there not be Bond girls? Um, I think just, just Jennifer Connelly was, is like, now that I'm, I'm like in the, in the, know, zone. in the zone of this movie. Was so she your first? For sure. I don't know if she... Maybe. Because Labyrinth as well. I don't know. I mean, she was younger. But she like, was younger, I was, but uh, you were, you were I was younger. younger. I was younger. And I was like, yeah. oh, she's pretty. Yes. Um, but this movie has um, a lot of... Uh, clavage. Yeah. I um, mean, not to be crass, but, uh, but that's the kind of thing that, um, you know, that gets young boys' attention. Exactly. Um, and since we're talking about nostalgia, that is a very real part of uh of childhood what clavage no <laughs> noticing clavage oh, celebrity crushes um when i was a young lad um it sounds like i was a milkman in uh, <laughs> in, in poland in the 1800s <laughs> um do you think that poland in the 1800s is the only place where they had a milkman no, and also I'm, you wouldn't have been a milkman. I'm you thinking would have been specific- a boy, a milk boy, a milk boy. Well, oh, I'm, that sounds wrong. I'm speaking specifically about Anna Tevka. <laughs> oh, um, yes, yes, I see. Um, a puck, a bench, a stick, a hat. I don't know the words, but that's <laughs> a the hat. Suck. A hat. <laughs> Who would be mistaken? So ah, derailing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, that freaks me out. I know the dream sequence don't of Fiddler on the roof. The dream okay, we, of Fiddler don't on talk the about the dream sequence. No, because that gets in my head, and then I put my head on the pillow, and that song repeats right, yeah, in yeah, my yeah. mind. So let's just pretend it didn't happen, okay. and we'll move backwards. Right. So when I was a young lad, I remember seeing a certain episode. In yes, in, <laughs> I'm. <laughs> Okay, this this has gone to pieces. Just out my mouth. <laughs> the coffee came out. Yeah. Mm, gross. I can see it all over your pot filter. Fantastic. Lovely. So please um, continue yeah. with yeah. the... Yeah, so uh, there, was a, there was a certain episode of Mork and Mindy um, that involved a certain Raquel Welch, mm-hmm. who was also in uh, The Three Musketeers and The Four Musketeers, uh, uh, yeah. as directed by Richard Lester in the 70s. Um, and I had a massive crush on her. What happened was I must have been about six or seven. She was seducing Mork. She'd captured him. Mm-hmm. She was seducing him with her female um, lackeys, as it were. Nanu, nanu. Yeah, and she was wearing something extremely revealing. Mm. And this was Mork and Mindy. Okay, we're not talking about like Channel 5 after after midnight, okay? Um <laughs> Channel Five after midnight did it? Well, have... I mean, I mean, in the in the late nineties, Channel Five after midnight was, yeah, okay. It wasn't exactly a, a you know, safe prestigious, uh, yeah, prestigious channel like uh, say BBC Two. 
Um, but yeah, so uh, so we're talking more Indy. So I mean, like, and and that was that was my first uh, sort of realization of the the female form, as it were. Uh, but Jennifer Connelly, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know who else I had a crush on? Was uh, Famke, Famke Janssen. Mm-hmm. Because mm. in Goldeneye, she was a she, she was, was scary in Goldeneye. Yeah. But that scene in she, at, she at had, the casino, she got, she got turned on by uh, by machine gunning a whole bunch of people down at once. That did it for me. Um, and uh, there were, <laughs> you've got problems. No, but uh, X Men was I think the ah I see because she's wearing. Uh, the, le- uh, the, the, the leather, the leather, yeah, yeah, yeah. Elizabeth Hurley in Austin Powers as well. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, Catherine Zeta-Jones in Zorro. Right, indeed. Do you want to continue talking about your pubescent boner? Or <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure why I chose this subject. Like, but well, because I of, know why you chose this subject because you're Connelly. a you're perv is why you chose uh, this yeah, subject. Okay, fine. Oh, wanna just, wanna just roll the fucking intro. All guys. right. What's our seat number? Hello, and welcome to What's Our Seat Number, the movie podcast that asks questions like, what's the most visceral movie experience ever? The answer is, of course, M. Night Shyamalan's old, because when you're done watching it, you too will feel as if you've aged 50 years in two hours. I'm Johnny Gross, director of such classics as Promo Version 6, Final 27, Variation 12, Final Final 18, Definitely Final This Time 23, and the upcoming thriller, Promo 2, This Time It's Final. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host and brother, who once caught a bullet with his bare hands, a legend all over Hong Kong, physical and emotional wreck and closeted 3D graphic artist, it's only Simon Gross. We have a fantastic show for you this week. As we're going to be talking about an all-time favorite of ours, 1991's <sighs> The Rocketeer, starring Billy Who Campbell, Jennifer Uwa Conley, and <laughs> Timothy James Bond Dalton. Based on the 1982 comic book by Dan Stevens and directed by Joe Johnston of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Jumanji, and Jurassic Park 3 fame, this movie is just awesome. Are you excited for this one, Sai? It was epic. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> um, yes, I'm very excited for this movie. I have... Um, Oh god, it's like my if I were if blah, words. If you were to ask me what our joint favorite movie is that we would watch over and over again. That thing you do. No. Groundhog Day. No. Ghostbusters. Mm. <laughs> we have quite a lot. The, the Mask of Zorro. Forget I said anything. <laughs> <laughs> but this I is was, definitely this one is, of we those. We watch this so much, and also when you yeah. like have that the opening music, I always like get excited, and then the, the doors open, and you know the airfield, and you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I've been uh, James yeah, Horner, fantastic. Very, very, very excited about this. Um, I was actually a little bit worried, um, as I told you, that there would be less for me to talk about, but um, there isn't. There, there's uh, quite a bit of visual effects in this movie. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, and they're innovative excited. as well. They're very interesting. Very interesting. So, what's your uh, context for this movie? What do you remember as far back as you can the first time you saw this movie? I remember James Bond being the bad guy. That's a big deal. That was a big deal um, for me as well. Yeah, I, re- I remember. Um, I remember being scared of Lothar. Um, and yeah. the the scene uh, where they shine a light on uh, Mr. Bigelow, and he's been right, uh, and he's folded, been in, folded half. in half. Yeah, uh, that that was um, that was scary. Also, Lothar uh, killing the. Um, the guy in the hospital, yeah, uh, who who stashed the uh, the rocket. So I, rem- I so it's it's always when you ask me the the question shouldn't be what do you remember of this movie? It's what about this movie scared you? <laughs> You're a right. child. Um, but um, I think I think it it was just so exciting, like just the idea of strapping a rocket to your back. 
much fun. And flying like a bat out of hell. Yeah, man. Yeah. Really fun. Um, and I remember, I just remember how much you enjoyed it. So obviously that sort of influenced how much I enjoyed it. Um, I remember just watching it endlessly. And you got it, you had it on um, tape. I had it on VHS. And then you had it on DVD, DVD and now on Blu-ray. Yeah. Um, and so I've watched every single version that you've had. So yeah, very exciting stuff. How about you? Um, I remember that there wasn't a lot of um, frisson about this movie when it came out. Um, I remember seeing Honey, I Shrunk the Kids in the in the cinema. Uh, I remember seeing The Little Mermaid. I remember seeing Roger Rabbit. I remember seeing uh, Back to the Future 3. All of those movies that I saw in the late 80s, early 90s, all had... Uh, tons and tons of advertising. There were always TV spots on, uh, you know, on TV. Always like trailers all over the place and posters, and you get excited. But the Rocketeer, I'd never heard of, and uh, Mother and I, Mater, and I, uh, we were walking around Blockbuster, and it was on the bottom shelf. And this must have been like 1992. It was newish, mm-hmm. um, and I picked it up and I looked at it and I wait. Did bottom shelf mean that it was bottom shelf? Like, did they put things on the bottom so. shelf? I for think a reason? so. They they put all of the uh, all of the good stuff at sort of eye level, I guess. Okay. And when you're a kid, eye level is a lot lower. So right. I I picked it up and uh, it may have been the second to bottom shelf. I'm not sure. But anyway, how stupid not to put this on the the grown up. So, this eye was level the thing. Shelf. It was so not weird. it was not very well received, and it wasn't uh, there wasn't a lot of uh, of excitement around it. Um, the the marketing was very kind of um, you know I, I think the the big issue uh, was the Art Deco poster, mm. which a lot of people just didn't get at the time. Um, and then they sort of re-released the poster as like that that image that everybody has of the Rocketeer. Everybody remembers of the Rocketeer, like uh, going over the top of it with uh, Timothy Dalton and Billy Campbell and uh, and Jennifer Connelly on the front, um, with uh, with big wows, um, you know, blowing up. Yeah. Um, oh yes, I have that in front you of me. You have it right in front of you. I'm <laughs> like it. looking at it while you're describing it. I'm like, you're not looking at this, and you no, know it's it like, that it's well. Right like there. It's, yeah. It's were right you looking me. at it while you? No, no, no. no, no you weren't. No, you were looking at me. I was looking at you. Yeah. Because I'm delightful. You are, you're, you're bloody gorgeous. Oh, thank what are you, you very about? much. Um, yeah, so uh, so I remember, and we, we rented it once. Don't touch me. <laughs> we rented it once, and then we rented it again, and then again, and it would always be, um, excuse me, mother, I'm going to do an impression of you, but you've seen it, Jonathan. That was the that was always the thing, and I was like, but I want this one. So I'd, we'd, we'd rent it again and again and again, and eventually, uh, I don't know if I, if I bought it when I was a little bit older, it was bought for me, but it, it's something that got a lot of... A lot of wear and tear in the VCR. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I have to say about Timothy Dalton, by the way, that um, you say that the that James Bond was the baddie. He get he got a lot of flack about not being comfortable um, saying the uh, the one liners um, in the Bond movies. But in this movie, he's chewing up the scenery. It, he's man. hamming it up, and he is loving it. There's there's some there's some questions that I have when we get to talking about the movie right. afterwards. I'm going to write it down as it happens because I want to see if I can pick out any more of those. But there are some moments where I'm like, is this a deliberate thing, or is this like it just it just looks like it from from his performance? Is that, I'll I'll bring it. I up think then. I know what you're going to ask, but anyway, we'll see. Okay. Um, okay. So uh, before we get to the tagline game, I want to do a little bit of movie news. Okay. Uh, a little bit of business this week. Do the jingle. Okay. Movie news. <laughs> An under siege reboot is in development. 
while there's no word at this time if original star Steven Seagal is returning, oh, either in front of or behind the camera, the project is in the works at Warner Brothers uh, with Timo Chanjahan... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is a fucking mess. <laughs> no, no. Why, why, why? That was fine. Keep going. Okay. Um, so the plan is for the movie to head straight to streaming on HBO Max. <laughs> What's going on? I couldn't pronounce the guy's name, so you're gonna okay. <laughs> the way you did it. I'm sorry, I am good. I'm okay. fine. Yeah, okay. You, Go. You're right. Okay. I'm fine. All right. Uh, so oh, no. Okay, so everything's getting rebooted or remade or um, sequelized. I mean, the, our next week's uh, movie uh, we can reveal is going to be uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife, um, which is uh, which is another sequel slash uh, soft reboot. Um, so I wanted to ask you, what do you think about that? Do, do you think that Under Siege is a movie that deserves any kind of revisiting? Couldn't give a fuck, Jones. Well, no, seriously, <laughs> I'm telling you, I don't, I like every single time that I hear that there's a reboot or a remake or a reimagining, like they're talking about, or they have been talking about rebooting the Rocketeer for a while. Um, yeah, there's always, there's already been a, an animated series yeah, on Disney. Uh, no, Junior. but they're talking about like, a. I don't. I don't know exactly what like a like a movie version. I yeah. I don't care what form it takes. Leave it alone, please. I have this thing that is of its time. And you know what? Look, I'm not. We talked about toxic fandom a few weeks ago. Right. I'm not one of those who I'm like, oh god, you're raping my childhood. First of all, all of you bastards, calm the fuck down. Okay. <laughs> Your childhood is still there, even if they were to remake something and you didn't, you know, like it, that's fine. Don't watch it. Watch the original. You're good. It's the same people who say, um, you know, George Lucas, oh, you ruined my childhood. No, the original trilogy's still there. Leave it alone. Is it, though? Um, what do you mean? After he's cut it to yeah. shreds and remade it. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, it's just very, um, well, I, I'm, I don't mind, um, so I'll, I'll talk about games for a second, right? When they remake a video game, it's usually of a game that has not aged very well, right? I mean, they're remaking uh, your favorite, Kotor. Um, they're remaking Knights of the Old Republic, <laughs> right? And they're doing it with next-gen consoles. And I'm very excited about that, and I'm going to buy that, because I really love Knights of the Old Republic. But I haven't played it since I was a teenager, Right. Um, and that's the sort of thing where thing where they're not going to actually change much, I don't think. Like, it's mostly going to be rebuilt from the ground up with better graphics. It'll probably have quality of life improvements. And that's the sort of thing that makes sense to me, right? So that you can keep playing your favorite games, but not have to look at it and go, oh, it hasn't aged well. Whereas with movies... It's like, why, you're not bringing on the same actors, and you're not redoing, like, it's, it's you're remaking it, and you're probably right. going to ruin it, and it's it's very strange to me. And, and also, Under Siege, who the, who cares? So that's the thing, specifically about something like Under Siege, it's like, um, kind of a diehard knockoff anyway. So I don't see why, why it should, uh, it should really get, um, you know, the time of day. Um, okay, moving on. Yep. Uh... I, there's not a lot to talk about here, but I, I just wanted to mention it. Um, that uh, Mel Gibson is in talks to direct and star in Lethal Weapon 5 after original director Richard Donner's death. Originally, Richard Donner, uh, he was 90. Um, he was, uh, he was, they were working on the script and he was going to bring the two of them back and they were going to make a Lethal Weapon 5. Yeah. I would have watched that. Um, because part of the charm of Lethal Weapon was Richard Donner. Yeah. Um, and then having, uh, you know, Mel Gibson come in and, uh, and you know, act and, and, uh, and direct it. 
Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not I, sure I, about it either, but yeah. I do think that it's better to bring him on. It's kind of like keeping it in the family. Yeah, yeah. Because he is a director. Um, yes, and he, he is. is also he was there when Richard Donner. I, I like if he it could go one of two ways, but I think that if he were to respect the original sort of like vibe and vision, it might be something that you enjoy. Right. Um, it would probably end up being more of like a like a tribute to Donner. And, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. The other thing I saw this week was that the uh, the Rock has put his hat in the ring uh, to play James Bond. Oh, heaven um, save us! And uh, he can uh, step into the ring and uh, take it out again. Um, thank you very much. Brits are very very. They particular. feel very strongly yes. about Americans taking on the role of James Bond. No, but also like well, it I mean, would look weird if he. Were, I, I I mean, it, it would look. It would weird. be fine if he played like um, what a villain? Is that what you're going to say? No. Well, that's the thing. Idris, I also read. Right? Yeah, I also read that Idris Elba. Um, he's now 49 or something like that and they uh, um, he said that he's in talks to play a villain in the new Bond movie because he's been in the running not really in the running but everybody's been talking about Idris Elba's going to play James Bond um, I, it seems that everybody who's not going to play James Bond is going to play a villain Henry right. Cavill as well <laughs> he said play. he'd prefer to play a villain yeah right? it's not a bad thing that people chat about it but for some yeah. reason it's pissing me off <laughs> do you know do, do you know what's really annoyed me is that i saw that tom holland wants to be james bond i saw an interview of tom holland talking about how maybe when he's a little bit older he's gonna play spider-man and this was like years before he played spider-man yeah um so uh so yeah i don't know <laughs> it might be just like a little boy's wish and um we might be he's fucked. not a little boy anymore he's he's he's, he's but, but he, he how looks is he still so playing young. a bloody teenager he looks really young and i don't buy him as nathan drake move on okay next um, oh, final poor bit bastard. of news. You were going to take a bite of cake. Why don't you do that? No, no, that's okay. <laughs> um, the final bit of news, and uh, and then we can step away from uh, from the movie news. Uh, is it a corner? Is it a basement? Segment. Segment. Okay. Uh, original. Okay. Original Harry Potter trio will reunite for the HBO Max special. Mm-hmm. Uh, another Friends reunion style thing. Uh, director Chris Columbus wants to release a three-hour cut of Philosopher's Stone. Mm-hmm. Every single director in Hollywood since Zack Snyder released Justice League, everybody wants uh, a director's cut of of a movie <laughs> the, that they made years ago. My 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 pickle here is that the. Um... I was going to say my pet peeve, and then I was like, my pet pickle, and no, I was like, just say pickle. Your um, boggle. <laughs> my problem here is, is that, um, you know, th- I, I don't really need a three-hour cut of the, the thing, but really, please don't how, bring how long James was it? Corden it was, it was to, pre- <laughs> to host the HBO. Please don't. I can't anymore. Yeah. He's so annoying. I, okay. <laughs> Um, he also wants to didn't chris columbus say that he wants to um make uh the cursed child with uh with the adult cast oh they probably do i don't know i i, I would no, say I mean, they're now at the age where they could pro- they right. could do that and it- i think there's a running theme uh in this week's movie news that um every single piece of news is about some kind of reboot or update or remake or sequel or something like that and um the basic consensus is uh you know leave it alone yeah but uh but the the irony is that the two of us are probably going to be the first one standing in fucking line so yeah um, yeah whatever movie news drop page lovely um thank you that was movie news our mother gets that reference (laughs) it is time for the tagline game oh i don't need to do that because there's a there's a background track of applause isn't there (laughs) indeed indeed there is um, okay, so this week uh, we are going to be playing the tagline game with the movie The Rocketeer. So your first tagline is... 
From Zero to Hero. Hercules? No. No? It's not Hercules. Is it... The, the, wait. <laughs> Your second tagline is, The Return of the Great Adventure. Okay. Your third tagline is, An Ordinary Man Forced to Become an Extraordinary Hero. Mm-hmm. And your fourth tagline is, you'll believe a man can fly. You'll believe a man can fly. I... Which tagline is the Rocketeer? Well, we're two for two, so I don't mind getting this one wrong. Zero to Hero is, uh, it's not, it's not, I mean, it's a song from Hercules, but I know that it's also from another movie. I want to hear what one that is, but anyway. uh, What was I going to say? The second one, uh, the, The Return of the Great Adventure, I think. Is incorrect. Oh. The Return of the Great Adventure is the tagline for the film Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh shit! Didn't you already use that one? No, no, I did not. Uh, the the correct tagline for the Rocketeer. Do you want to? Do you want to like uh, has a second chance? Guess? Yeah, yeah. I'll give you a second chance. Read the other three again. It was. Okay. It's not Zero to Hero. Oh. Um, uh, from Zero to Hero, you'll believe a man can fly. An ordinary man forced to become an extraordinary hero. Oh, shit. <laughs> like, you'll believe a man can fly sort of sounds like something they would have put on Superman. Ah, I hate your poker face. Let's do the extraordinary hero one. Is, Is incorrect. Correct. Yay! I didn't get a point, though. Yeah, I it's, it like, it's like getting a spare in bowling. Hey, all right. Oh, there's... <laughs> Oh, that should be the sound. <laughs> um, Zero okay. to Hero, what is it? It's Zero to Hero crazy. is the mask. Oh, yes. Damn it. And you'll believe a man can fly is, in fact, Superman. Oh, okay. Wait, <laughs> do I get the other half of the point just for knowing that one? Or is that not how the game works? Steve Reich. There oh, you go. Thank you so much. <laughs> not exactly three for three, but I scraped together the point. Okay. Much like all of my grades in high school. Indeed. Um, okay, now before we go and watch the movie... I think we should hear a word from uh, one of our many sponsors. Stop! Your well-being hinges on the following advertisement. What's Our Seat Number is sponsored by Creepy Basement Door Hinge Rust. The rust you find on the hinges of every creepy basement door, be you a murderer, child snatcher, or local eyebrow collector. Order one squeezy bottle of Creepy Basement Door Hinge Rust today and use the coupon code... And receive a complimentary metal hook affixed to thine hand. You can make short work of those pesky teenagers who you know murdered you last summer. Creepy basement hinge rust for your house, garage, basement, or vestibule hinge needs. Very very good. Let's go watch the movie. Roll it. Awesome. Yes, that's pretty huge. Bit of business, though. Bit of business. Um, Is there anything you'd like to say? Yes, I would. I said Dan Stevens instead of Dave Stevens. Dan Stevens is a actor, Actor. a British actor, who appeared in The Guest and Beauty and the Beast and... uh, Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey. What's the the show? Legion. Yeah. Yes, he was in Legion. Uh, And my pick for the next James Bond, actually, but uh, nobody will listen to me. Jonathan, he's blonde. 
<gasps> no. Anyway, yeah. Um, I also said that um, the uh, <laughs> the hanger on the front of the poster, on the front of the poster, on the front of the Blu-ray box and the poster is called Big Wow because it looks like Big Wow, and I always used to think it was Big Wow, but it's actually bigger though, obviously. I mean, obviously, obviously, because the guy who owns the hangers name. So all all is those people Bigelow. who are listening to this podcast with the Blu-ray right in front of them, <laughs> scanning it, going, "That's not what it That's fucking not says. What it says. How can we trust you?" Um, so yes, yeah. there you go. Hmm. How was that for you? I enjoy that movie every time. Of course. But you know, enjoyed it a little bit more this time. Why is that? I was taking notes and noticing stuff and, uh, Jennifer Connelly was in it this time. All right. All yeah. right. All right. He's up there. He's up there. Go and have a cold Me shower. Me, he's up. <laughs> all the way through the movie, you're, oh. Well, I mean, well. That don't... is the exact noise it quote. You made that sound. <laughs> It's it's just you know memories, yeah, muscle anyway, memories. Sh- well. <laughs> uh, would you like to crack on? <laughs> I would love to crack on. Yes. Um, so where do you want to start? I don't know what's next. Crazy casting with K's. This is the segment where I describe an actor who was up for a certain role in this movie, and Sai has to guess who the actor is. I'm ready. Number one, this British actor was up for the role of Neville Sinclair. The velvet-voiced actor has voiced a disfigured Disney villain, fought for France's liberty, aided his orphaned ward, and sleezed after a 15-year-old girl. Who is it? Again, but slower. He, a disfigured okay. Disney villain. A disfigured Disney villain, yes. A, uh, this is a cartoon villain? Yes. Okay. Uh, fought for France's liberty. Fought for France's liberty. Aided his orphaned ward. He did his orphaned ward, okay. And sleezed after a 15-year-old girl. Sleezed after a 15... What the hell is this shit? <laughs> I'm trying to think of disfigured Disney villains. My brain's shutting down, mate. It's late. <laughs> <laughs> All right, give it to me. Okay. The answer is Jeremy Irons. Oh, no. Disfigured Wait, okay, hang on. He Disney fought villain. for Francis... In the Three Musketeers, in the Man in the Iron Mask. Man in the Iron Mask. Yeah. yeah, that's what I meant. Disfigured uh, Disney villain is obviously. Oh, yeah. Damn it! Hang aided on. his orphaned ward. Aided his orphaned ward. Oh, Batman! <laughs> oh no! And sleezed after a fifteen-year-old girl. He played uh, um, uh, the main character in Lolita in the remake. Okay, I Lolita. wouldn't have gotten that one. But <clears> that, that, <throat> damn it! All right, fine. Yeah, but the rest of them, I, I gave you, I give you every chance. Yeah, I know, no, no. This is on me. <laughs> okay. Another British actor up for the uh, villainous role of Neville, also with velvety, dulcet tones, made his debut in a non-speaking role trying to kill Roger Moore's 007, and has since upgraded to purposefully killing men and always paying his debts. Who is he? Purposefully killing men? Oh, 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 it's Charles Dunn. (laughs) I just killed a man and I did it on purpose. Right, and which Roger Moore Bond film was he in? What Roger Moore Bond film was uh, he? He in? had a non-speaking part. He was a lackey. He was a henchman. Uh, not in one of the later ones. Yeah, one of the later uh, Roger Moore ones. Wait, was it? Wasn't a View to a Kill? No, no. Go back. I don't bloody know. It's uh, for your eyes only. It was, was one he of his. For your eyes only. He was a lackey. It was one of his first appearances ever. And obviously, always paying his debts. I need to he's, watch he's that. A I need to watch that again now. Up for the role of Cliff. This Australian-American actor has fallen out of favour of late, but is still a highly charismatic personality on screen, whether campaigning for freedom, being a loose cannon, or getting unique glimpses into the female mind. 
being a loose cannon, mm-hmm. getting glimpses into the female man, or campaigning for freedom. Australian American actor. Yes, indeed. You'll kick yourself. No okay. clue. No clue. Uh, do you want me to tell you the answer? Well, otherwise we're just going to sit here in silence. <laughs> see, is the answer yeah. is Mel Gibson. He's Australian American. He is Australian American. He campaigns for freedom. Mm. He is a loose cannon in Lethal Weapon. Oh, for fuck's sake! And he gets a unique glimpse into the female mind in oh, What Women Want. Oh, this is horrible. <laughs> Okay, I've got another two, so you got a chance to uh, no, redeem I yourself. No, I don't. It's too late. <laughs> okay, this big, famous movie star was considered for the role of Cliff, a child at heart, a cowboy, an insomniac on the West Coast, a record producer, and a man displaced. I write these myself. <laughs> Johnny, this is really hard. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll give you a... I'll, I'll read it again. This big, famous movie star was considered for the role of Cliff, a child at heart. Oh, it's uh, Tom Hanks. There you go. A cowboy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. An insomniac on the West Coast. Sleepers in Seattle. Oh, fucking hell. (laughs) These are brilliant, Johnny. A record producer in... Was he a record producer in? Oh, 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 in uh, That Thing You Do. Of course. And a man displaced in... Man displaced. Castaway. Oh, Terminal. Yeah. Castaway could have been. Castaway could have been as well, but like it, it serves its purpose. For, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, there's one more. I think you're gonna get this because um, yeah. Oh no. It's fairly easy. Uh, this actor turned down turned down the role of Eddie Valentine. Mm. He's been a burglar, a wise guy, and police informant. Mm. He's short in stature, but just don't tell him he's funny. Uh, Joe Pesci? Yes, that is correct. Okay, so I redeemed myself a little. Indeed, okay. That was horrible. Did you see that before when I didn't get the verse? I was leading against (laughs) the the pop filter in shame. Okay, he's been a burglar in... Home Alone. A wise guy in... Uh, Goodfellas Goodfellas, Casino. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Police informant in Lethal Weapon. Yep. Uh, Two, three, four. What was the line that he always says? What is it? Okay. 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 Yeah, that's not okay. a line. Okay. It's just a word. No, that is the, that whole thing with they fuck you at the drive-through. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So that is crazy casting with K's. Sorry, that was embarrassing. <laughs> it's really interesting because the other day when we did this and it was daytime, I was like fully focused and I could see these in my, and I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> oh my goodness. The weekends are a difficult period. Well, for what are you gonna parents. do? Yeah. So, uh, before we take a quick trip to Trivia Corner, mm. um, another word from, uh, from one of our sponsors. Let's go. Do you ever run around the house with a screaming baby in your arms yelling, Where the fuck is it? Well, search no more. Buy our new and improved Pacifier. A pacifier with a state-of-the-art government-grade built-in GPS tracking system that will connect via Bluetooth to your very cell phone. Never again hunt with a torch under the couch, under beds, in the sink, in the toilet, or down behind a chest of drawers. Now with new and improved Pacifier, you can pinpoint exactly where your child's pacifier is at all times. And that's not all. Plant the pacifier on any person of your choosing. A spouse, a lover, even your teenage child, and you, yes you, can violate the rights of anyone around you. You. Order your passes by now. Disclaimer not FDA approved, governmentally sanctioned, or in any way legal. <laughs> very good. Thank you very much. Trivia Corner. Trivia Corner. 
Okay, so in the original graphic novel, um, the character of Jenny was actually Betty Page, mm-hmm. who was uh, Dave Stevens, Dave Stevens, not Dan Stevens, the creator of the uh, comic book. Uh, she was his real life friend. Yeah. Um, and uh, she would not allow her name to be used in the film. This is an obvious one. Uh, during the fight on board the Zeppelin, Cliff says to Neville, Where's your stuntman now, Sinclair? To which Neville replies, I do my own stunts. And this line is obviously in reference to Timothy Dalton's time as James Bond. Did you know he played James Bond? No, it's news to me. Since up to that point, since up to that point, he was known for being the only Lovely. Bond actor to perform most of his own stunts. Very good. This is a What's Our Seat Number podcast universe connection. Originally, it was supposed to be preceded in theaters by a Roger Rabbit cartoon called Hair in My Soup. Unfortunately, the cartoon was never made. Mm. There you go. So now we have our own podcast universe. I was going to connect to our podcast universe as well. So that's actually oh, very, uh, very, very, good. Good. very good. Very, very good. Um, and the other thing is, you mentioned while we were watching the movie that um, that all of the characters look very much like their mm-hmm. um, their comic book counterparts. Um, and apparently, Bill Ca- Billy Campbell, uh, who once studied commercial art, made sure to read the Dave Stevens graphic novel on which the film is based. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got the part after getting a haircut to make himself look identical to the character in the graphic novel. So that wasn't by accident. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, uh, Lothar, um, who's played by an actor called Tiny Ron, uh, was made up to look like Rondo Hatton, who played similar characters in B-movies, which inspired this movie. Um, I, as we, uh, we posted a couple of pictures of, uh, of Baron Von Rotten, um, yes. uh, so uh, we'll, I, I want to post a couple of pictures of Rondo Hatton and, uh, and a couple of pictures of, uh, of Lothar, because... It's really quite uncanny. You should they, also they post, really, the makeup is excellent. Also it's not, post some pictures of what um, Lothar in the comics looks like, because he also right. looks very similar to Right, indeed. If you remember in the intro, I said uh, Bill who? Campbell? Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason is because uh, the decision to cast Billy Campbell of Cl- as Cliff Secord uh, caused mixed emotions among Disney executives. Joe Johnston and Dave Stevens believed Campbell was perfect for the role, and he was. Was. But Disney wanted an A-list actor. Johnston eventually convinced Disney otherwise, uh, which is a great thing because he's excellent in this movie. He's, yeah, he's got brilliant. just the right amount of naivety and can-do attitude and gee whiz kind of uh, kind of energy. Soda. So I have to wonder why he's uh, he he never became more of a household name. Um, I don't know, but I remember seeing him many years later in um, what was that show with uh, uh, James Woods Shark. Shark, yeah. And he played a, a guy who was uh, like a serial killer or something. It was very scary, like really effective on that yeah. show. Like a, it was a few episodes arc. And I was like, this guy looks super familiar. And I'm like, oh no, it's Cliff. <laughs> it's Clifford. But he was—he he really was a great like matinee idol kind, yeah. of, uh, kind of actor. And, and I, it's a shame that he never really... He never really did that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, but then again, if you look at Timothy Dalton, he he's also kind of gone um, into that sort of arena of uh, of playing villains and and is enjoying it a lot more. For Alexei example, in, Volkov. Alexei Volkov in uh, in Chuck. Um, but mm. uh, but also really really wonderful as um, what prickly porcupine? No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to stay in character. Um, what's the name of his character in uh, Penny Dreadful? Malcolm, Malcolm. Oh, oh, yeah. Um, just Malcolm, isn't it? I don't remember, but he, it was a brilliant in that as well. It was actually Malcolm one of the Murray. Reasons, yeah, Malcolm one Murray because he's mean as I was, I was watching it. Yeah, 
uh, was because of Timothy Dalton. Yeah. And, and then Ava Green as well. And then I was like, oh, this is really creepy and really good. Yeah. Anyway. Right. Frank Darabont did some uncredited work on the screenplay. Good to know. Uh, Jan from The Office, played by Melora Hardin, is the singer at the South Seas Club. Did you know that? No. Well, she is. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. Now you recognize it? it looks like her, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it is indeed. She looks like herself. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I was thinking when I was watching that? Is she, like, she's singing When You're Alone, right? Yeah. And she just looks very sad about it. Like, I'm very lonely myself, actually. Yes. <laughs> don't know why I said that, like, uh, Noel Fielding. But anyway. I'm, I'm very I'm lonely, lonely myself. myself. Yeah, yeah, I don't know why. Um, <laughs> the Nazi connection. Um, mm. The uh, Neville Sinclair um turning out to be a nazi uh nazi agent mm. uh is based on the rumors that errol flynn was a nazi sympathizer the other thing is i was talking in the uh in the pre-bit that's what we call the bit before the uh before we go off and watch the movie the pre-bit 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 <laughs> was that uh, i found the rocketeer on the bottom shelf yeah. of the block of the local blockbuster uh, the film was released on June 21st, 1991, and received positive reviews from critics. How could it not? It's brilliant. Uh, <laughs> plans for Rocketeer sequels were abandoned after the film was a disappointment at the box office, grossing a relatively modest $46 million on a $35 million budget. So it made a profit of $10 million, basically. Uh, I, f- I would say that that's due to, to the marketing of it. And I also think that there was, I think audiences at the time had an issue with, uh, with 30 set, um, movies because also the, because the shadow was also not very successful. Yeah. Do you um, think though, do you think that it's a good thing or a bad thing that it was never greenlit for a sequel? I think that as a self-contained, uh, adventure story, it's perfect as it is yeah. it has a beginning a middle and an end and it's and it's got like kind of an opening at the end because uh because jenny retrieves the yeah, uh the plans uh pv's plans for the uh, for the rocket pack and he's talking about how they can rebuild it and make it uh, make it better etc etc yeah. so there's always like an opening of like the rocketeer will return yeah uh and they could have done that um but i would have i would have said like if they if they didn't do it at the time then that's it yeah. Because I, I'm I'm getting very wary, and I know we're going to see Ghostbusters Afterlife next week, um, but I'm getting very wary of all of these um, belated sequels. Uh, and they're never, because there's so much time in between, there's always a nostalgia factor, and it's always a massive part of it, as opposed to telling a good story. Um, uh, and I think that, um, that these sequels need to be done sort of closer to the, uh, to the originals with the same crew, with the same cast yeah. to, to give a, to give a sense of continuation, to give a sense of continuity of flow. Uh, and I, I, and also that, uh, obviously if it would have been shot in 92, 93, then it would have been shot on film. And nowadays it would have been shot on digital. Yeah. You can see the difference. Uh, for example, Joe Johnston got the job of, uh, of uh, directing Captain America, the first Avenger, yeah. off the back of this movie, um, because they wanted to do something rocketeerish. Yeah. Uh, as as the movie has had kind of a renaissance in the last uh, ten years or so, or twenty years, or, or however long, um, that a lot of people remember seeing it as a kid, uh, and there's uh, there's a lot of fun memories, and a lot of like new audiences are, are discovering it uh, nowadays. So. Um, so he he got that job and they shot it on digital, 
and you can really see the difference between the two movies if you look. And that, that I have to imagine that that's what a Rocketeer sequel made nowadays would look like. Um, I also think that it, I, anything without that cast is going to bug me. That cast is perfect. All of the supporting like, characters. You've got Malcolm played yeah. by uh, Clark Kent's dad. Mm-hmm. From uh, Lois and Clark, <laughs> New Adventures of Superman. Um, I don't, I, I don't have his name written down here, but uh, but yeah, uh, it'll uh, it'll come back it's to good me. Good that you came prepared. Go yeah, on. no, it'll come back to me. Uh, you've got Jennifer Connelly. You've got uh, the great Alan Arkin. Sorry, I say that, but you should see he's got like 17 million pages sitting in front of him. So <laughs> I think it's just an unfair thing to say. But go on, I dig yes, in the ribs. It, it, it is indeed. Um, you've but got the the great Alan Arkin, um, who's just who's just brilliant. You know, every time I, I keep thinking. Uh, you did think of it, Clifford. You thought of it, and then you said it. Um, I, I love a gross point blank connection. Gross point blank, indeed. Um, at some point, we should do that as well. Yes. Did we say um, that during Ghostbusters? We probably did, but we uh, said Bing, 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 popcorn. And then, uh, yeah. Well, there you go. There you go. I, I will. I, I say it again. Um, and I think that uh, who else have we got? We got you. Got Tiny Ron playing Lothar. Oh, there we go. Bit of trivia for you. Go on. Um, I told you about the uh, the bloke who says "big gopher." Yeah, yeah. You and said I wanted pay you attention. to look at the guy standing on his right. Yeah, uh, that is Tiny Ron, aka Lothar. Oh, really? Yeah, out of uh, <laughs> out of makeup. <laughs> okay, I see why you wanted to. Okay, yeah, yeah I yeah, see it. I yeah, see yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good looking bloke. A uh, couple of awards. Oh yeah, go on. I got one. <laughs> okay, obviously. Morning, boys. No, oh, no, no. <laughs> okay, morning, boys. <laughs> Morning, boys! Gets an award, for sure. Yeah. Um, that's Got Millie in egg. the final scene. Yeah. Uh, my one is... Um, okay, so this is, uh, this is sort of uh, a mixture between, uh, between an award for Best Extra and uh, Trivia Corner. Go on. Um, so uh, it's the guy that says, It's the Rocketeer! <laughs> yes. In, the, <laughs> in, the, in the South Seas Club. Uh, the actor's name is Rick Overton. He's a friend of Joe Johnston's. They met uh, while, uh, while Johnston was doing special effects for uh, Willow. Mm-hmm. And um, and he uh, he asked it. Joe Johnson asked him to come down to the set just to visit. And before he knew it, he was in uh, he was in hair and makeup and costuming. And uh, he had that immortal line, which fans of the movie, uh, if you say to them, the guy that says it's the Rocketeer, everybody go, oh yes, that guy, that guy. Um, trivia corner bit. Uh, he was also the maitre d at Bridges Restaurant in Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, was he? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> He's the guy that said, no, he hasn't arrived yet. Would you like a menu, Mr. <laughs> like that guy? Um... <laughs> So he's throughout that legend. entire scene. Yeah, absolute legend. <laughs> the difference is he's got a beard in that movie and right. in, uh, in The Rocketeer he does not. Um, and obviously, you cannot give awards for Best Extra without giving an award to the guy who says, Big Gopher. Right. Big Gopher. I, I wanted to give an award <laughs> to the pilot. <laughs> the German pilot is like, Do not worry, Mr. Sinclair. My pilot is the finest pilot in all of Germany. And then Lothar comes crashing through the window and knocks the pilot out of the blimp. It's just like, I've never noticed that before. It's brilliant. It's really funny. There are a couple of things that you never noticed before. There's a couple. The the first one was, um, you pointed out that PV pulls the, um, uh, you said, it's all PV's fault from this moment on, right? Right. Because he pulls the... Yeah. The context here is for, for anybody that's not familiar um pilots used to used to chew uh beeman's gum uh as sort of good luck at the beginning of the movie cliff puts a piece of gum on the tail of the plane 
and uh, PV gets pissed off with him because they've just given it a fresh coat of paint and uh, it's a new plane. Chewing gum ain't going to keep your butt up in the air. <laughs> Damn it, you want me to crash? Um, and just as uh, just as Cliff is uh, pulling away, you see PV uh, like rip the uh, the gum off the uh, off the tail and throw it away. Um, that's something I've always I, I've always never seen and you've never noticed it. that. That's very interesting. Okay, and that's uh, that's me for uh, trivia corner. Trivia corner. Trivia corner and awards. <laughs> um, okay, over to you. Right, would you? Um like to just uh before we go into the attic interesting things that i did notice is that um when when cliff uh you know he presses the button on the uh on the rocket pack for the first time yeah and uh pv says i wouldn't do that if i were you right right um there's a a second two second shot of the fan inside uh behind the casing of the uh of the rocket you see it turn on and whiz to life. And I was just thinking, like, why would you put an insert like that in? Like, wouldn't you just, like, show the, um, you know, the rocket, like, uh, exploding with fire or something? Like, if you wanted to put in a, a shot like that. I was, like, thinking it's really cool that they're showing that this is, like, a working mechanical piece of machinery. It's like, it was just that tiny little bit of world building that they didn't have to do. It, it was just interesting to me. Um, and then when Cl- when Cliff puts the rocket on for the first time, you kind of hear the hero theme, but then it immediately transitions to the Nazi one. So it's like, you know, this foreshadowing of this is actually a weapon, right? right. It's like that he, he puts it on and he's all excited and there's this like, and then it like transitions into the, the Nazi theme, uh, which is kind of, you know, the Nazi agenda, like later on in the movie when you see the, um, you know, the animation. Um, I wanted to point out that you can also see cracks in Sinclair's facade already in his very first scene, right? You know, where he's starting to lose his temper a little bit. You right. Know, like, yeah. But, but I mean, it's, something... it's made obvious from the very first scene that he is uh, a, a bad naughty, naughty man. Um, but the question I wanted to ask you was, did Neville Sinclair stab Charlie on purpose? Wasn't that yeah. what I said at the beginning? And you said, you think you know what it is that I'm going to say. Was that what you thought I was going to say? That was what it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, so do you think that he stabbed him on purpose? So this is uh, this is something that I... The last time I watched the movie, I think maybe a year ago or a couple of years ago. It's about once a year that we watch it. Go. Something like that, yeah. Um, I checked this out because it's always baffled me. Okay. Oh, Charlie. Charlie, I had no idea. Did you think I was stealing the scene? So that's the thing. That's the thing. What I have dug up, probably from random users on Reddit or something like that, mm. uh, but what I've dug up is that, um, yes, possibly he was stealing the scene, mm. and that's why he uh, he stabbed him. Um, it happens off camera. You don't see it happen. It happens off camera. I'm, I'm not sure why exactly that's, uh, that's included. Uh, there's no build-up for that. There's no payoff to it. Um, don't talk. Don't even move. Yeah. I, I, I feel that... Because um, he that's... says that line. The reason that it made me ask the question is he kind of says that line with a little bit of, of venom in there. Yeah. yeah. It's very, very sort of... I, I, if I had to go for a no prize, which is an explanation that doesn't really... It, it's got no basis in fact. It's just my opinion. But my no prize here is that um, he did it on purpose. Yeah, because he's the number three star in Hollywood. And he wants to rise higher than that. So he's taking out the competition. The competition. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, aside from that, there's, as I said, there's no build-up or payoff. I think it's the only piece of information in the movie that might be considered superfluous. Yeah. The rest of it is very considered and, and very uh, deliberate. So, Well, that's what I'm saying, is because the rest of it is so deliberate, right. I think this is too. I think that this is a a moment to make you question whether this guy is so i'm wondering if if, if there's uh if there's a deleted um scene or a deleted script page somewhere that uh, that might give a little bit of extra background to that yeah i just wanted to uh give a special mention here to uh to james horner mm. uh because uh, last yeah. week last week we talked about alan silvestri yeah. and my goodness is james horner is, is music is like uh, is like a character in the movie. Yeah, it really is. Um, it's uh, it's gorgeous. It's I've, gorgeous. I've and written it's like, up here is is opening titles and music dash shivers every time. Right. So the thing about da- about David Horner, fuck me. The what thing is wrong about, with you I tonight? Have no idea. I'm the, <laughs> the thing about James Horner is that the um, uh, the the main theme is romantic and nostalgic. Yeah. Whereas normally you'd have something a little bit more up tempo up front, like a like a march or something, or an adventure theme uh, that gets varied throughout the film and is modified to become a romantic theme. Uh, but this score has the romance front and center, and it's yeah. like a it's like a sense of nostalgia. I think for um, you know the the even if you didn't grow up in the thirties and forties, you have that feeling of uh, of sort of boy's own adventure. Yeah. Uh, not boy's own, boy's own. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's a sense of, there's a sense of, uh, nostalgia and, uh, and wistfulness, like a yearning for childhood. Yeah. Like you can, um, you can hear like the, uh, the very final line in, in the movie is the two kids running around, uh, playing Rocketeer and going yeah. Rocketeer to the rescue. Yeah. And that just basically sums up the entire movie for me. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's like being a child at heart and, you know, pretending to be the, the hero that saves the day. When I was a kid, it used to be, there was a girl I fancied in my class at school yeah. and I would want to. Uh, I would like sort of fantasize about rescuing them mm. so that they would notice me. <laughs> you know, that's the... Uh... Right, well, it was nice doing this podcast with you. <laughs> you were about to get cancelled. Why are we about to get cancelled? I don't know, because you have opinions about things. And no, when you were a child, it's a you very thought innocent things thought. in your head. I it's don't know. It's a very innocent How thought. dare you think things in your head? Internet <laughs> police are on their way. Let's just sit here, take off our trousers, and have our bums pointing <laughs> upwards. What? <laughs> what? Oh my god. <coughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh god. Here I go again. This is why we can't do this at night. This is why. Okay. Alright, I think it's time he took us to the attic. <laughs> Give me a minute. <laughs> Okay, we apologize for that um, breakdown. That's the second time that this has happened since we started this podcast. Um, <laughs> oh, come on. <sighs> I apologize, dear listeners. This is highly unprofessional. Okay. Um, would you like to uh, take a trip up to VFX Attic, or are you? Uh, do you need to be carried out on a fucking stretcher? We don't know what to do. <laughs> Oh my goodness. <sighs> oh, God. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm laughing at anymore. <clears throat> oh, 
breathe. I'm trying. I'm really trying. Okay. I'm really trying. Oh, okay. God. Before we go up to uh, VFX Attic, uh, it's time for another word from our sponsors. Road Rage, the video game sensation that's driving the nation insane. Experience Road Rage from the comfort of your own living room. Get cut off at traffic lights. Get honked for no good reason. Get overtaken from the right and have your parking spot nicked just as you are going in. Road Rage, a white-knuckle fist-clencher of a game. At all good retailers now, except for the one nearest you. All rights reserved, all copyright supply. Any and all breaches of which will result in severe penalties that include, but are not limited to, burning, freezing, waterboarding, fingernail-pulling, nipple clamps, electrocution, tasered testicles, and a smack on the bottom. <laughs> Smack on the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. There we go. Those are my ads. <laughs> All right. Just, um, uh, I'd like you to wear these rubber gloves. Why, why am I wearing rubber gloves? It's best if you don't ask. Join me in the VFX attic. Where else can you see VFX in an attic other than VFX? <sighs> Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Bartholomew. That's just my uh, zombie butler. Um, try one of the foot biscuits, Jonathan. They're delicious. The, the foot biscuits? Foot biscuits. <laughs> um, the visual effects supervisor for this film is Ken Ralston. Now, I actually have a bit of a mea culpa myself. Uh, apropos your Dan Stevens, Dave Stevens... Uh, oh, my goodness. Forks pass. Yes. Um... <laughs> Is that Ken Ralston was actually the VFX supervisor for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Like, we mentioned the guy who was in charge of the optical printers, and we mentioned, you know, Richard Williams. But Ken Ralston was actually the um, VFX supervisor for that. And just a little bit of background, because there's a lot of movies that we're going to watch, and his name's going to come up a few times. In uh, 76, Ralston was brought on to create the effects for Star Wars. And he remained working at ILM for 20 years before joining uh, Sony Pictures Imageworks as president. But he's best known for his work in the films of Robert Zemeckis, mm. uh, which is the in-universe connection. Uh, he was VFX supervisor on Roger Rabbit, Forrest Gump, all the Back to the Future movies, and many more. Mm. Um, so a little bit about the VFX in uh, The Rocketeer. Uh, there's a lot of blue screen work whenever, you know, stunts can't be done by a human. Uh, the visual effects department were called on to create a stop-motion replica of the Rocketeer that would be put on a motion-controlled rig. And what that basically means is uh, there's, like, this sort of rod that they would put... They, they created a um, stop-motion puppet, right? Stop-motion is basically when you have... Uh, if you've ever seen Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas or any of the, uh, you know, uh, different uh, stop-motion animated claymation... Uh, <laughs> Wallace and Gromit. Um, yeah, uh, animations. Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice as well used a lot of that. Basically, stop motion is where um, there's a physical model, right? That can has a rig inside it. It can move. Oh, Tony's going again. <laughs> <laughs> Just gonna power through. So basically, when impossible stunts were called for, the VFX uh, department were called on to create a stop-motion replica of the Rocketeer, and it was put on a motion control rig. Now, stop-motion, obviously, pioneered by the great Ray Harryhausen. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Who, who's, who's Ray Harryhausen, say? The pioneer of stop-motion. <laughs> <laughs> this is ridiculous. If everything I say is going to set you off, we're never getting through this. Right, you keep laughing, <laughs> okay. and I'm going to keep going. So right, stop-motion. Power through. Stop-motion okay. is basically the art of taking a picture 
um, every single frame. And as each picture progresses, much like with animation, when you draw it, each picture changes from the last frame. So basically, it's the same as animation, only it's very, it, it's physical, it's in the real world. So some of the um, advantages of having stop motion as your chosen uh, sort of medium is that you can light the scene and you'll build the set and you'll light the scene and you can have the camera move through it. And oftentimes they would make these shots on motion controlled rigs. Uh, and basically the computer would have a lot of information stored in it and how fast the rig should move, how fast the rod should move through the scene, whether it should dip up and down. And they would sort of much like how we talked about in the Ghostbusters episode with the uh, um, animatronic uh, Slimer, how they had all of his uh, facial expressions put into a database. So it was kind of the same thing. They'd control how fast the rod would move and the camera would move through the scene and every single frame it would take another picture. And in each, uh, you know, frame they would change the, you know, the movement of the characters or whatever it is. So here, um, uh, Gene Bolt worked on the creation of the puppet uh, of the Rocketeer and stated that getting the look of the leather material of his jacket right was especially important because um, she said, if you don't get those sort of details right, um, you know, the viewer will know that something's off. You have to scale things down. You remember how when we talked about in Ghostbusters, how instead of having the water be water, it was just sand coming out of a fire hydrant, right? Because uh, water scaled down doesn't look the same, right? right? So they had to try and find Which a way of making it work. At, um, a very high shutter, uh, very high and, uh, frame rates. And using something that sort of made it look like from that distance that it was still water. Right. Um, and so, you know, she said that what they did was they used latex sheets to recreate the look of the leather so that it would move and stretch, but still wrinkle in the same way that leather should, uh, but scaled down to that size. She's saying that, you know, a, a viewer will know that something's off. They won't know to pinpoint exactly what it is, or you will if you're in the industry, or if you know exactly what it is that's bothering you. Um, and this is something that I talk to my students a lot about when I'm teaching them 3D, and I'm trying to teach them about uh, creating... Uh, tiny little details like, you know, um, fingerprints or scratches or the wear and tear that you get on things and making sure that you look at metal and what it looks like and trying to recreate its actual look um, is so that you remove as far as possible that idea that someone's going to look at it and go, this doesn't look right. Because even if you're seeing it from very far away, something's going to, you know, look wrong to you. Um, and so what they did with the Rocketeer is they had this puppet on a motion-controlled rig that would decide how fast he would fly in and out of frame, how far away he would come from the camera. Once that was programmed into the rod, the uh, motion, uh, sorry, the stop-motion animators would come in and uh, every frame they'd tweak the look. And you'll notice it's very, very fluid, very talented animators doing this. Uh, you've also got the smoke trails behind him, I which still, look I very still can't cartoony. tell. I still watch the movie and I can't tell which are the shots that are stop motion. I think I can tell most of them. Um, you can tell where the shots are of a real person because uh, I can point them out to you if you want. But in like, for example, when he comes in towards the plane, um, and lands on it. That's a real person doing a stunt on a blue screen, right? right. Um, but like when he's flying uh, at speed past the camera and his legs are like flailing about as if he's being pulled along by, you know, the rocket, that's something they couldn't do. And a person cannot naturally move like that unless they are actually being pulled along by a rocket. Right. So those are all the scenes um, where, you know, it's stop motion. It's, it's very, very convincing. 
Um, but yeah, I'm I I love the VFX in this movie. You can still see the seams and the blue screen or well, whatever. I mean, we're but we're talking it's about not, 1991. It's not something that bothers me because it really works with the era that this movie is set in, right? Um, and all of the sort of just like the the visual style of the movie is very interesting. There's some interesting lighting stuff that's going on. I know that we don't normally talk about lighting and and um, you know set design that much, um, but. It's really interesting how the first thing that you see of Lothar is this pink lighting and the tea and the sort of, I don't know, doilies or, or yeah. there's, there's something going on in there. That always, when I was a kid, I, I always used to think of an old grandma sitting in that chair. And it's very creepy when you kind of juxtapose that with who Lothar is and what he's going to do in the movie. And it's, you know, it's really quite creepy that he's listening to opera and that the lighting's very sort of light-hearted and feminine and then like later on in the movie you've got that green sickly color that sort of covers right. the bigelow uh death reveal um so there's like uh, i'm sorry we've sort of gone out of the vfx you know but more into the design but i think that those decisions are very deliberate and they get across exactly what you're supposed to be feeling i think also because the uh the movie in general has a uh um has a very sort of 30 serial um influence yeah uh, and they they obviously for the uh, for the animated sequence the uh, the propaganda m- film uh, it looks very much like a like a child <laughs> what <laughs> what I was just thinking oh I'm really glad that we're past the last <laughs> sorry I'm good I'm really good I'm really good go on for the the proper fan the, the proper fan <laughs> the propaganda film the uh, the cartoon oh yeah I couldn't find any information yeah. for that. Uh, but you can see where the influence is. It, it looks like one of the Fleischer cartoons, um, the Superman cartoons. Yeah, um, absolutely. And uh, yeah, there's a very sort of deliberate um, uh, kind of design influence there from uh, German Expressionism, which uh, which was very prevalent in movies of the 30s and 40s. Yeah, um, you can see the the uh, the use of of uh, shadow um, and uh, the the use of uh, slightly dutched angles and the mm-hmm. uh, the Art Deco. Um, and also, as you were saying, the, uh, the sort of, uh, the primary color lights, um, that, uh, that, you know, you can see a lot in, uh, in those kinds of, also uh, in Neville Sinclair's comic books uh, and cartoons scene, you see that a lot with like the pink lighting and, uh, you know, actually interesting. Is that, are we, when we meet Lothar the first time and we see that scene, is that happening in Neville Sinclair's house? Interesting. It's very possible. I just, you know, maybe he lives with him. Maybe. Roomies. I've um, never thought about that, actually. Yeah. No, but the it's funny you mentioned the animation is that when looking up, uh, you know, anything about that, I couldn't really find uh, who did the, uh, the animation for that uh, Nazi agenda scene. Um, but uh, suitably creepy and off-putting. And also, I think uh, both of us found this, that there's a, there was an auction in 2021 of the original storyboards yeah. for it, which are very, very close uh, to how the final animation came out, which is not surprising, seeing as when you make something and there's a storyboard, you kind of go off what the storyboard's telling you to do. So Right. Well, there we go. Um, that's it for me in uh, VFX Attic. So, um, yeah. VFX Attic. Okay. Uh, just uh, be careful on your way down. Yeah, and yeah, I, I wish. What do you think of the foot here. biscuits? Um, I, I won't eat anything that's shaped like a foot. Oh well. Or is it an actual foot, or is it shaped like a foot? Well, he won't tell me, but Bartholomew assures me that the blood is exquisite. Oh. Um, I do have some uh, tidbits. Would you like to uh, 
Do you hear some oh, of those? Yes, please. Bits of Tid. Size Tid Bits. Lamont Cranston, The Shadow. Oh. Um, which is one of the... Uh, if we talk about sort of like the trio of movies that, you know, we started with The Phantom. So and in that movie yeah. we mentioned... Uh, sorry, in that podcast we mentioned a few <coughs> times... I'm sorry. In the first podcast... Uh, we did The Phantom and we kind of mentioned a few times, uh, you know, we wish we were watching The Shadow or The Rocketeer. Um, so uh, that character's name is Lamont Cranston. While never mentioned by name is the mysterious character that helps Cliff in New York in the comic. Mm-hmm. Um, the clues to his identity are his red ring, trademark twin pistols, mysterious appearing and disappearing, the constant focus on his blue eyes in certain panels, and his line, I'll be sticking to him like a shadow. Well, that's kind of on the nose, really, isn't it? Um, yeah, but they never actually say that his name is Lamont Cranston. They never right. say that he's the shadow, and he's never seen in his shadow garb, which is... Uh, Lamont Cranston. Pretty cool. Lothar in the comics... Uh, actually knows Cliff and has a vendetta against him for accidentally causing the death of a circus performer because he and Cliff were in the circus together um, who uh, Lothar was in love with. Hmm. Uh, Neville Sinclair is not in the comics. There's a couple of Nazis in there um, who chase uh, Cliff down and I think one of them may have like the kind of moustache sort of thing. Uh, that Neville Sinclair has, but I don't think it's I don't think it's him, and I don't think anyone is based off him. So that's the end of size Ted bits. I just wanted to uh, to talk in general about the movie because I realised we went straight into uh, into trivia corner, um, and uh, yeah. So how does this movie make you feel in general? Like you watch this movie, you get a flood of memories. It's all nostalgia. This is you know this is we're, we're peddling nostalgia here on this podcast. Yeah. Um, obviously it's one of the trio. Um, it's in my mind, it's the best of the trio. It, you yeah. tend to think that the, the, the shadow is the best of the trio. Um, it's, I think I may have said that in the phantom, uh, yeah. um, podcast, but it's, it's, it's difficult because they're both very different. They're both stylistically very right. different. Um, and I think that their, their approach to, uh, what a hero is, is very different. Um, I like The Shadow a lot because of Alec Baldwin um, and his performance in that movie. Uh, And also The Shadow's powers are really, really cool. Um, But there's just something about this movie, man. I don't know. It just uh, just raises me up. You know what I mean? It just just makes me... um, I hear the music and I, I get that like wide-eyed, you know, rocketeer to the rescue kid kid yeah. kind of thing. Like I just get there and, and, and um, I know exactly what's going to happen, but you know, Neville Sinclair and you know, I just like, Oh God, are they going to get out? Okay. And you know, oh God, yeah. he's a bastard. That scene where, where Cliff is walking through the goons um, uh, to, to rescue Jenny and yeah. he takes off the helmet. So he's no longer the rocketeer at this moment. He's Cliff. Right with a rocket on his back, and he's walking through these guys, is very much a moment where it feels like he is the rocketeer. Like it's not just about him putting you know this helmet yeah. on his back. Like he's ne- he is a hero. He's gone to rescue her and and you know to to take down these Nazis and you know because he's a very flawed character as yeah. well. In the comic books, he's even more flawed. You know because because he's he's kind of painted as a bit of a loser. He does a lot of tri- uh, tripping up and pratfalling yeah. and stuff. Like even in the field when they're testing the rocket, he, he like in, when the rocket's coming back 
uh, he does this little thing where he he trips up and almost you know right. Uh, so you're saying that moment when he walks through the goons is when is when that, that switch turning happens. point exactly yeah. because he's very um, he's very stable after that he's very uh, you know he, he's in control of the rocket he knows exactly what he's doing he grabs right. a gun and goes after in the balloon you know like it's um, uh, I feel like that's his character turning point it's also just a really cool moment yeah from that moment on it starts to become a little bit um it has that kind of that cheesiness Mm. that you just can't help but love yeah um and you know that it's cheesy and you know that it's uh that's sort of like apple pie americana etc etc he um you have uh, eddie valentine played by um the great paul Salvino. you have the uh you know the sort of the mob guys and the fbi guys um, killing Nazis, like mowing Nazis down Nazis with machine guns, with guns at the yeah. same time together. Um, that little smile that they share yeah. is really crap. It's, <laughs> it's, it's cheesy. It's really cheesy, but I love it. Um, it's it's a uh, you know all that all that kind of like patriotism, uh, and and then you see uh, you know Cliff as the Rocketeer standing next standing to the next flag. to the American flag before he takes off after the uh, the Nazi Zeppelin. Uh, but I love that. I love the uh, the sort of the general kind of gee whiz um, <laughs> attitude. I also I love the uh, the dialogue, uh, yeah. and I've said this to you before about the uh, about the the you know that whole exchange about your buddy's being fitted for a pine overcoat. Yeah, like I love that. I love that image. There I don't know why. A couple times where I turned to you and I went, "Did he just say?" <laughs> yeah. So the, so the one that you mentioned to me was uh, we searched the place from hell to breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you wrote that down. And I the other thing was, was that uh, yeah, the other thing was that the uh, the mob guys come in uh, saying to uh, to Million um, and Malcolm and all the all the people in the cafe um, that uh, that they're looking for Cliff Secord and they want to give him a job, right? Yeah. And he says, "There's a lot of lettuce, lettuce in this. this. <laughs> I love that." <laughs> um, and uh, you know, and the the FBI guy when he goes like. Uh, it, he hangs one in my kisser and you let him waltz like all of these like, maybe you had it coming i love these like these sort of these 30 isms yeah. i guess you know they're they're really they're, they're really a lot fun. of fun yeah the other thing i wanted to talk about is the uh robin hood pastiche um yeah. it's a great scene it really is um and it, obviously the uh, the title card at the beginning says los angeles 1938 the adventures of robin hood with errol flynn was released in 1938 uh, and they're doing a scene up a flight of stairs that is almost identical to the flight of stairs in, in the, the final battle between Errol Flynn and Basil Rathbone in, uh, in The Adventures of Robin Hood. Um, so he's basically playing Robin Hood. Errol Flynn. Yeah, Errol Flynn, yeah. Um, and it's it's just a great scene, and it reminds me of another movie um, with, uh, with, a, uh, with a scene like that, that it's just so accurate, uh, and that's The Majestic, uh, Frank Darabont's The Majestic. Yeah. It's a movie that doesn't get a lot of love, and I can't for the life of me figure out why. Yes, it's a little bit saccharine. It's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit sentimental. Um, but it is a you know, it's a romantic drama at the end of the day. Jim Carrey giving uh, a great performance, um, and there's a scene in it which uh, Jim Carrey plays a writer um, in uh, in late forties Hollywood, um, and the movie that he and he and he gets black blacklisted by the uh, by the McCarthy um, um, witch hunts. Um, and the movie that he's written is called uh, Sand Pirates of the Sahara. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's got um, Bruce Campbell as, a, as the kind of Errol Flynn style character. Uh, and it's just this great kind of swashbuckling epic that they've, uh, that they've created from the ground up yeah. uh, in, in black and white on old film stock. 
Um, and the sound also is like, it's just, and it's just so. I've never connected that that's Bruce Campbell. I don't know why. I haven't yeah. seen that movie since I was a kid. Should it's, watch it again. We should watch it again. I, I wonder if, uh, you know, maybe if we had like a sort of platform to sort of, you know, watch movies and talk about them. I see. Uh, that was clever oh, very, very good. clever very good very good um but yeah it just it reminds me of that in the same way because it, the way that it's done in this movie is so on point and accurate um yeah. uh, and i just i love that and the music as well is you know james horner uh does a great job of the music in that sequence um so that's a lot of fun and uh, the other thing that I noticed was uh, there's a woman in the fish tank of the South Seas Club, and she's there <laughs> for the entire yeah she's in there the entire time. And how is she breathing? <laughs> yeah, I was looking for breathing apparatus. I don't think I saw any. Yeah, it's just one of those things. Maybe... I don't know, Jonathan. <laughs> I don't know. I don't it know. made me wonder. Like, is she is she in, is she being punished by the mob? <laughs> is she dead that would be dark no she's moving she's around moving? she's no, moving around yeah mind, then. unless she's being puppeted that, that's dark <laughs> well there you go that's dark that, yeah. that's that's chaos yeah at the end of the day i love this movie i think it's uh you know there are a couple of tiny tiny little flaws in there but i don't give them the time of day i think that it's a brilliant movie and it should have gotten a lot more recognition uh and a lot more love um, and I wish it had. I wish it had made a lot more money. Uh, not necessarily because uh, because it deserved a sequel. I think maybe it did, but um, but not because of that. I think just because uh, you know a, a great movie should be uh, should be rewarded. I agree um, with you. And and look, I mean, Joe Johnston is a is a fantastic director. I mean, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was his debut. Yeah. If you watch that movie, it's so assured. He's got such a steady hand. Um, and uh, and he just he just kept it up from there. Jumanji. Yeah, oh you know, god, what a good movie. Um and uh and the the Wolfman it actually doesn't get enough credit. I think that's a that's no, a like good that fun too, yeah. movie as well. I wish that they could recapture this feeling that that sort of movie was, you know, capturing in in that time, but I I I think that we're just in a different place and I don't need them to remake this stuff. I don't need them to retread it. I have these movies. As you can see, I'm I'm 30 years old and I'm still enjoying watching them with you. And it's like, I don't need them to remake this stuff. Right. I, I have to wonder, if you didn't grow up with uh, with a movie like this, if you watched it now, would you would you get the same kind of feeling? Um, well, Shosh likes it. Um, right. She, she left halfway through because the baby started crying. But, um, <laughs> you know, she has watched this movie with us before and she likes it. Um, she doesn't feel the same way about it. I don't think she feels this, that way about many movies, but you know, it's like she, uh, you know, she uh, she really enjoys it, and I I don't know. I I wonder. I wonder as well. Yeah. If anyone, but because I, I don't, don't I don't care. I like bringing it. it back around to uh, to Ghostbusters Afterlife. I'm reading reviews. Uh, there are people who who grew up with the original and uh, and watch this one and get that sort of the, the sort of warm fuzzies. Uh, and there are people who have seen the original, didn't grow up with it at the time, uh, and are sort of nonplussed by it. Right. Um, so, uh, so it does make me wonder. Uh, it's a, it's a question that uh, that I'm sort of wrestling with every time we do one of these. Well, I mean, listen, you know, you you have like uh, Force Awakens, right? Right. Uh, which was entirely geared towards people who had grown up with the original star wars trilogy and, so that's the thing you know, i love that movie right. and i and i, I really like don't, it too. i never had that uh, that feeling of this is a retread i never felt that way but the thing is that the last jedi which is where they're trying to like you know 
change things up and make things weird and whatever. Um, And I'm the unpopular opinion in the room. I don't like it. Um, (laughs) But like, uh, you know, it's, um, it's, it, it, it goes towards that whole, you know, either you're a fan of the franchise, you know, and you're really enjoying what they're putting out there. Or, you know, you don't really care about Star Wars. Oh, this is interesting because it's like, you know, more like yeah. what you'd see nowadays. And I think that the charm of something that is a, a remake or a spiritual sequel or a sequel or, you know, whatever it is. Reimagining. Reimagining is that it's it's paying respect to something that came before and therefore is going to have that fan service. And I, I don't have a problem with that. Personally. Right. I feel like... Uh, I feel like... Studios are obviously trying to make as much money as they possibly obviously. can, and they're using as many of their IPs as they as they possibly can in order to do so. Yeah. Um, I really wish we had more um, last nights in Soho's, yeah, new and IPs. things like that. Um, which is, by the way, a movie that I'm dying to see. Yeah, uh, but it looks incredible, and um, and you look, you've got people like Edgar Wright, and uh, and yes, Christopher Nolan as well, who are making movies that are challenging and uh, and new, um, and interesting. Uh, and I think that um, that this whole idea of capitalizing on nostalgia um, is something that also due to toxic fandom, also due to fatigue, um, is something that I hope is going to sort of fizzle out in the near future because the entire market is saturated with them. Mm. Um, And while I, again, as I said, we will be in the the front of the queue on opening night uh, clamoring to see these movies because we are the target audience. Because all uh, all of the people who grew up uh, at the same time that we did are the people that are making the movies nowadays and making the decisions. Um, you know, I'm 38 and the, uh, you know, probably the, you know, the, the heads of major studios are around like, you know, the, the 40 mark or the 45 mark. So, uh, so yeah, that's what they're gearing towards. Um, and I'm wondering at some point if the, uh, if that's going to break, it, it'll just be interesting to see how the, uh, how the landscape changes in the, uh, in the coming decade i guess there's an interesting comparison that you can make between the movie industry and the game industry i think and if this is bollocks you can cut it out but um (laughs) the uh the thing that i've noticed is that you'll only have those big directors who've proven themselves to have created new ideas with you know success where they're given the free reign to do what they want you know to to make these new movies um but like you're not going to get certain directors who go hey i've got a new idea they're like no you know <laughs> it, it just doesn't but in in the gaming industry as well you have like okay if you're an indie developer then you have a lot of freedom to do what you want but a big studio like naughty dog that brings in a lot and a lot of money you know they made like uh, the uncharted series and the last of us series um they can they can turn around and they can say hey we're going to do a new ip um and you know sony will go yeah okay because they've proven it right and right. so you know, it's it's interesting to me that we are so heavily baked into this mindset of remakes. And, you know, it, it's mostly because I think that studios are just scared to take a chance and let people try something new. Right. Uh, because they're, what if they don't make the money that they want it to make? And that's like, that's a risk that you're going to run. Uh, but you can't only rely on, you know, these big budget um 
CG fest, is my opinion. Right. But the interesting thing is that in the 80s, in the 70s, 80s, 90s, um, the people that were that were making those movies were influenced by their own nostalgia. Yeah. Um, you take something like uh, like Gremlins, you know, that's uh, it's you know Joe Dante um, was uh, you know made also The Howling um, and uh, Inner Space. He was always like very uh, influenced by the creature features uh, that he grew up with in the uh, in the fifties. And but uh, but those filmmakers were able to um, to use their nostalgia as a jumping off point to create something new um, that was influenced by their childhoods. Uh, whereas nowadays, what I'm seeing is a lot of filmmakers are just taking the movies that they enjoyed uh, in, in childhood, or r- rather, I, I wouldn't say filmmakers, I'd say studio execs, taking movies that they know people enjoyed in, in childhood and just uh, remaking them or sequelizing them or reimagining them or rebooting them or whatever, um, which is not the same thing. Uh, but what's interesting about the, uh, about the 80s and the 90s is you've got people like uh, Steven Spielberg, who would take somebody like Robert Zemeckis under their wing and produce their movies? Yeah, um, and and sort of allow them to uh, to express and to uh, and to make big budget movies. Joe Johnston as well. Spielberg took him under his wing. Spielberg is responsible for a lot of our yeah. childhoods, even the things he didn't direct. Um, and uh, and then you fast forward to now, and you've got like producers like uh, you know directors like J.J. Abrams producing movies like Ten Cloverfield Lane. Um, by first-time director Dan Trachtenberg, yeah. um, and that's uh, and that's a great movie, uh, and I don't it's think it, forward, it wouldn't. It? I don't think it would have gotten made if it hadn't been a Cloverfield connection, and if it hadn't been J.J. Abrams producing it and sort of uh, sort of handpicking yeah. it to come and uh, to come and do it. So um, so yeah, it's it's. Uh, I, I'm I'm just very interested to see where all this goes. Me too. Um, I think we have time for one more word from our sponsor. Jonathan's Toenail Fetish is supported by Wheel Traps. Ever walk down the street thinking about naked butterflies only to have your skin jump right off your body because some wanker has just beeped their horn for no good reason? Well, look no further than Wheel Traps, a repurposed bear trap on a spring that shoots out of the steering wheel. Mediocre scientists agree this product is a third proof. Guaranteed this technology will only activate when it detects any asshole unnecessarily honking their horn. Purchase one flimsy paper bag of wheel traps and affix it to the steering wheel of said wanker for maximum face cutting off quality. Enter coupon code PINE OVERCOAT and get a free vial of Easy Car Bloodstain Remover to complement your purchase. Wheel traps, guaranteed to make you horny. And uh, a great big thank you to our sponsor, Wheel Traps. Well, I think that's it for us uh, for this episode. Absolutely. That was a lot of fun. (laughs) Thank you very much for joining us. And we will see you next week with Ghostbusters Afterlife. Adieu. Adieu. What's our seat number? 